0: Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Embodied Astrology and I'm Renee Sills. In this episode, I'm talking with my friend Ramon Gabrieloff-Paris, Parish, is a professor, philosopher, activist, and astrologer. I love Ramon's work with astrology and really appreciate his knowledge of the cycles of the outer planets and what they reveal about various historical periods and generational karmic inheritances and responsibilities. This episode was recorded and released in April of 2020 in the midst of the global pandemic called COVID-19. Whatever point in the future you're listening from has undoubtedly been affected and shaped by the major shifts in society that are resulting from this pandemic and the various ways we're all trying to make sense of it. Considering these circumstances, this conversation felt timely and important. As I've said before on this podcast, I think astrology is a brilliant map and strategic tool for understanding life circumstances, challenges, and opportunities. I'm deeply grateful to Ramon for the work he's done using astrology to clarify generational imperatives and the way he's able to speak to the intersections of astrology, history, embodiment, and activism. In today's conversation, Ramon and I explore the slow-moving transits of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto as generational signatures, and we take a look back at the era-defining astrology of the late 1960s as an anchor for some of today's most pressing social and environmental activism. We consider the histories of civil rights and social and environmental resilience movements in relation to astrology, how these movements are continuing in their evolution now, and some ways we can support and stimulate this important work. Later in the episode, we'll be looking at one of the starting point charts for the COVID-19 outbreak and considering how this chart interacts with the astrological themes of the decade. Before we get into the conversation, I want to offer a deep and heartfelt thank you to all of the Embodied Astrology subscribers. Your monthly donations make this podcast possible. If you like the show and want to be a contributor and get lots of cool subscriber perks, go to embodiedastrology.com forward slash subscribe.
1: Okay, so I am Ramon Gabriel Off Parish. Um, just for the sake of the podcast, I, I'm a Sagittarius Sun, a Scorpio Moon, and a Pisces Rising. And my day job, I am a core candidate assistant professor at Naropa University and in their interdisciplinary studies department. And uh, I also, my, sort of, my, some of my side gigs. I, I've, I'm a longtime member worker in the Golden Bridge um, organization, which is kind of one of our our, our main sort of, meeting place. Um, they work with, uh, you know, led and created by Melissa Michaels, um, really working with um, rites of passage and uh, life phase transitions through the lens of embodiment and creative expression and somatics. Um, and kind of like an overall sort of spiritual psychology of human development. Um, I also work with an organization called Frontline Farming in Denver, which is uh, a people of color and women-led food justice, food sovereignty, food security organization. Um, it's really kind of help, helping to transform the food, sim- food system on the Front Range. And then I've also worked with this organization called Youth Passageways, which was actually an outgrowth and part of Golden Bridge. And it's a network of rights of passage practitioners from all over the United States and in some places, in some cases, other parts of the world. And, um, yeah, so a lot of my, my life and work at this point is um, it's working with I'm working with college undergraduate students and they are most of them are sort of in that late teens mid 20s developmental period um, which you know according to folks like Rudolf steiner is kind of a crucial moment in human development where you re- really start to make contact with your soul if you believe in that kind of thing um, also you might look at like maps like bill plotkins which are actually i want to say elaborations of uh indigenous medicine wheel um human development maps but um, anyway, that that late adolescence, that kind of that stage where you sort of go deep and if you can come back up, up out of it, you emerge with something that can be refined into an offering to the world. So working with a lot of people at that age and really sort of asking kind of two questions of like, what kind of communities do we need to cultivate in order to help people grow into their their like spiritual giftedness? Um And to like contribute something to their communities, to society, you know, to help the work of constructive change. So like what kind of communities do we need from the level of, I call it software, which is like embodiment, you know, meditation, ritual, you know, conflict resolution, nonviolent communication, that kind of people and internal skills. And then also like what kind of communities do we need on a hardware level? And that's food justice community food systems, sustainability, and so on. And I'm not an expert in either one of those, but I'm kind of dabbling between both and trying to, to as an educator in a way, help raise people up in relationship to both of those. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a dad and husband, and um, and I'm just a bum and a guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I, Can we talk a little bit about Michelle? Because I feel like, a lot of your work intersects and combines with hers. Should we just mention who she is?
1: Totally. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, again, kind of going to that Pluto and Libra thing, I think a big thing that our generation's been trying to do is repattern uh, intimate relationships. And Michelle and I have been, you know, life partners and co-conspirators and friends for 20-something years. And we really kind of started off, I think one, one important spark for us, like we went to the Bioneers Conference in 2000, and they had this really cool kind of fusion at the heart of their, their conference, which was social justice, um, sustainability or ecology, and spirituality. And coming out of college in 2000, Class of 2000, represent, coming out of college, that was some of the, like, that was the nexus that we were looking for. And we had never really heard it spoken, the three of those together.
2: Hmm.
1: And so to kind of coming back from the Bioneers Conference with that nexus, we started to to get involved in our community. We were living in the mountains at that time and we started this open mic, um, like kind of poetry ritual open mic every month on the full moons, again, working with like cosmic cycles and then that grew into this uh, organization called CASAS and we were looking at the nexus between affordable housing and sustainability and a lot of michelle's work my work has kind of gone in that direction but i really went hard into golden bridge and learned about like the kind of like inner tools and the community tools and michelle also was part of is part of the golden bridge stream but a lot of her work has really branched out—not branched out, but like moved from the level of like, like how do we make changes to infrastructure? Yeah. You no, know? and how do we bring the the social justice and um and sustainability movements together? And she was doing a lot of this work when it wasn't fashionable, and she was one of those like, um, like you said, sort of like Generation X, like language builders. Right. Like we, we were we were learning pieces of this from a lot of our our elders and elders and teachers. And then like we went to city council meetings and we said, hey, are you going to make these affordable houses sustainable? And the, the city council people didn't even know what sustainability meant. Uh-huh. And that was into like 2002, 2003. And now it's like sustainability is on everyone's tongue. It's used now. It's, it's burned out now. Like we're, we're now transitioning to this language around resilience. So, yeah, so Michelle, she's at CU's Environmental Center and uh, she's working with student staff. She's got this really beautiful project called Flows. It's like Foundations and Leadership in uh, Something in Water. I'm forgetting the whole acronym, but Flows, you could find Flows through um, CU Boulder's uh, website. This is a partnership between students and um, community, low income community members, and Boulder Housing Partners. And they're really like helping people, like, save water in like the kind of small ways but also learn about water infrastructure and water infrastructure as a entrance into environmental justice. So nice. it's a real really cool model.
0: Yeah, and for anyone listening, I'll um, obviously include links to anything Ramon wants to share but I'll also throw in some links um, if you can share them with me to to Michelle's projects too. So would you consider yourself generation X or millennial?
1: I consider myself generation X.
0: Oh okay. I never know what to consider myself. Like, I I don't, I definitely don't feel like I'm Generation X. I felt like I was younger, but, like, really influenced by them, like, a couple years younger. And then I feel a couple years older than the millennial gener- generation.
1: Yeah, the Xennials, people use that term sometimes. This is, like, micro generation that basically, like, is really, like, they're, like, digital natives, but grew up or not grew up but had a period of their childhood where they weren't completely surrounded by electronics.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Because when I think of generation X, like I think of a lot I think a lot about music as another indicator of like generational and cultural shift and you know like that would and would be another interesting study and I'm sure it's been done but just like looking at the the you know gas giants and and changes in music. But when I think about Generation X, I think about the birth of hip hop. And I think about the, depending on your view, the birth of punk rock. I think about skateboarding and like extreme sports and the sort of sense that like, it's kind of like, fuck the system, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, we're not going to, we're not going to take the system down necessarily because the hippies tried that and they failed. You know, and there's a sort of disappointment energy that's there, but it's like, we're also not really going to, we're going to do as little for the system as possible.
0: Right. Like that cynicism and sarcasm that I feel like Generation X really had nailed.
1: Yeah. And like, and like the slacker idea, right? The idea where you, 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 you show up minimally because your real life is actually somewhere else.
0: Right. And you, it's like the system is there. You're not necessarily going to spend a lot of time fighting it, but you're not going to spend much energy believing in it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And meanwhile, you're building another life outside of the system. Right. But, but, it, but there also is this sort of like aggressive relationship to the system, um, as well. And, mm-hmm. and something I've thought about the Uranus and Scorpio generation is like, and I don't necessarily have the astrological, like, Tools so it's quite back this up but I'm like this is the generation that's going to see the system. like our job is to bury the system, like' yeah. we're gonna say it's eulogy, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean like we're going to say this is was this period, and we did this, and that's over, and here's your tombstone
0: right, well, yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes when I think about generation x um, and i would I would kind of like look back. Or you know, and consider people born even in the early 70s. I don't really know where Generation X is supposed to begin or end, but there's Uranus and Scorpio as a signature, but then the Pluto and Libra Mm -hmm. uh, is also this, this like death process and transformation of um, the facade, you know, like thinking of Libra in, in its relationships with the cardinal axis and this kind of facade and presentation of what things are that, Generation X had that like sardonic, cynical, kind of fuck you attitude. The facade started to come down. No one was believing in it anymore. So there was a lot that was being exposed. But then also Generation X are the people who do a lot of the heavy lifting to transform relationships. Like a lot of Gen X people are the ones who are really pushing for like, I mean, gay marriage was one step, but then beyond that rights for people, regardless of whether or not they're married um, beyond marriage equality, rights for gay people, rights for trans people, mm-hmm. non-binary people, etc. cetera. Um, a lot of the kind of disbelief in the heteronormative monogamous structures with the generation who's the first generation to really experience a lot of divorce, like as many families being divorced as staying together. And now, I mean, obviously it's not a worldwide phenomena, but I know a lot of people now who are, if they're not actively, you know, polyamorous, then at least they're having conversations with their spouse about like what it means to be non-normative, you know, and like to, to think outside the box of gender roles and like assumptions of what marriage is going to look like, like that conversation is on the table. Um, sure. And then that, the Pluto and Libra folks who we could say are synonymous with Gen X um, are the people, I think like you would know this more than me, but I feel like y'all are the people to really coin the term social justice. And like to think about like this process of like really kind of trying to transform the justice system and think about equity in, in the ways that have been happening and have become like, now what I would say is like much more of a trend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that the term social justice goes back at least to the 1920s. And I think it was used broadly as this, this idea of like, we have to look at, we have to look at the systemic causes for, for human destruction, right? We have to look at like, how, how would it, how? We, we, we're not looking at charity and like giving money to the poor, we're looking at the systems that are set up that create like what society perceived as failure in the poor or the systems that are created, set up that create sickness or the systems that are set up that create illiteracy. And, and, and we have to make this movement a broad social movement to transform those systems. I think that term goes back to the 1930s, but... Nowadays, we have, we've got water justice, we've got food justice, we've got reproductive justice, and, in this, and this, like, this way of using justice and, and using the lens of justice for all these different aspects of life, I definitely think that is a Generation X thing. That's definitely something that came about in Generation X. And I think another square that's interesting is the Generation X Pluto square in Libra to the Pluto in Capricorn. Totally. Right? Because,
0: cool. go ahead. So- no, you go ahead.
1: Well, well, I, I, I also am looking at that and, and looking at that also with like the Uranus opposition, right, of people who are in the latter part of Generation X. And it's basically like, this is the point at which we assume control of the society.
0: Yeah.
1: Right, you know, like after your Saturn return, you become a social actor in a significant way. But, you know, after your Uranus opposition, you're potentially in the place you either let go and say what the hell fuck it or you're in a place to really be in the reins of power and you know from there there in your next Saturn return like you're making the the substantive decisions for society and so I don't know I think that's that's a really interesting like that square and this this fact that like Pluto is always about confronting power on a on a deep level and like you know in libra it's like we are looking at like we're looking at the construct of human relationships as they've existed for a while and we're asking are those is that construct of human relationships worthwhile like you said is it a facade and like if it is then we need to bury that construct and there's something else we got to bring up out of the earth and so a lot of the movements like Like you just mentioned, you know, the kind of gender expansiveness, a lot of that, I saw that breakthrough in our generation, and then it went pop with the millennials. Right. And so, I don't know, I just think that's something that's interesting in these generational dialogues is because it's basically a conversation between the boomers and the millennials, and the Generation X is kind of just X'd out of it.
0: (laughs) I, maybe. I mean, I think all the all of the generations are providing these waves of influence. And when I think about the work that Generation X did that could be described with Pluto and Libra, so this, um, like, investigation, a deep investigation of justice, for example, and this these offshoots of all these different areas, like you were mentioning, reproductive justice, women's justice, water justice, et cetera, um, that... Part of like what your generation did is um, really like formed a huge amount of language to be thinking about these concepts and um, that you're doing a ton of, of strategizing and conceiving of the concepts and of the systems. And then the millennials being the folks that have Uranus, Neptune, a lot of them have Saturn and Capricorn, Mm -hmm. they're going to be doing major overhaul and restructuring of the society. But that's also the group of people that in large part have Pluto and Scorpio. Mm -hmm. And so you guys have that, the Uranus and Scorpio, you're like, you know, exploding the vocabulary, right? Like starting to talk about things that earlier generations are really squeamish about. They're not really going to talk about, or it's going to be super fringe and taboo and fraught. You guys are bringing that into center stage. And then millennials are um, building upon that. Like they have all of your language to be working with. Mm -hmm. And like one, one thing that I, I think comes up in conversation for me a lot with millennials is a lot of them are working very um, closely with trauma, with their own trauma, with community or global trauma. Yeah. But they have the language for it. Yeah. It has been developed, right? Like they have this vocabulary to understand the thing so that they can grapple with it and then implement these big structural changes.
1: Totally. And we just kind of slog through the darkness of it for, yeah. for, for until our early adulthood, many of us, you know, just bashing through addiction depression you know suicide like a lot of that stuff there was there yeah there was no language this vocabulary around trauma embodiment like all the shared practices that you and I have experienced that didn't come to me until after I had already sort of had my most significant encounters with them you know
0: Right, right. And so that cynicism and like, um, you know, disbelief and rage that Gen X has is really understandable because there's not language, like people aren't connecting about it. And so obviously then what are you going to do but, um, you know, fucking smash something, like burn it up, you know, and then create these alternative structures and create the language. And I think a lot of what Gen X did was like build these alternative outside structures and it's like smaller community organizing that was really powerful and very productive in terms of of finding ways to describe what was happening and organizing around care for what's happening and implementing process to take care of it
2: Mm.
1: Mm. yeah yeah something else along the lines of this generational conversation that I've just been seeing in my own home. You know, I'm like like the, the kind of coming up Gen Z, right? Like I'm just starting to, as a teacher, I'm just starting to get some kids who are from that age cohort in classes, and you know, also my own kids. And like this moment here with COVID, I mean, this is like, there's like high school seniors and they're not gonna do a graduation. You there's college graduates they are not gonna do a graduation. Right. You know? And, like, all these kids having to go home from college, like, this is, like, a defining moment for, I mean, for all of us, but definitely for the generation that's coming up. And one of the things I've heard a lot from Akasha, we've talked about a lot, is just this sense of, like, we're going to become adults as the system comes crashing down around us. You know, like, we, Generation X, we got a chance to, like, grow into our maturity we got a chance to, like, psychically face the apocalypse in 2000, but nothing actually happened. And then kind of 9-11 gave us a sort of slap. But, like, we, we were prepared for it psychically, many of us. And then, and then it's like, oh, we got 20 years to just kind of keep on building, right? right. And keep on learning and keep on healing from a lot of the stuff that we experienced growing up. And to, like, repattern our relationships. Right. You know what I mean? And, and now it's like we've – the Generation Z is Generation X's kids, right? And now it's like our kids are like, they've grown up with these kind of like parents who are a little bit on the fringe and know how to like keep up appearances. I think that's another aspect of the Pluto and Libra. You know how to keep up appearances, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know how to talk to power well enough to get yourself from, you know, not being arrested. Right. Okay. You know, so to speak. And it's like, our kids have grown up on the fringe and they know all this stuff and they know it in their gut and now it's like well, i mean kasha and i've been talking about this it's like here's here's the first right. like the first major shock wave
0: right right and for a while now it's going to be chaos i mean i think when we get into looking at these charts for the decade and the year it's like this is this is the beginning of the beginning. I don't want to say it's the beginning of the end because I feel like the end has been happening for a long time. But whatever is coming next, it has to assert itself now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I haven't wanted to. I mean, but that's the thing is none of us have wanted to say it because but this is the first event where we're like, wow, I mean, this is I mean, have you seen I, I think I heard it on your last episode? Like, look at what's happening to the air in China. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, this pandemic is having like ecological effects.
0: Totally. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's like coming down in a way that, of course, is the, the people who are always the hardest hit are getting the hardest hit. Yeah. And that's, that, that's so real. And then on the environmental level, like, we're starting, I think we can see not the answer, we don't see the answer but we see this example of something that everybody's been talking about, which is like, we need to drive less. We need to cut fossil fuel emissions. And then here's this, this totally chaotic example or, or event that is giving us an example.
2: Yes, totally.
0: Yeah, it's been funny the last couple of weeks. I mean, even with the, the stress and the fear and kind of the unknown of everything going on, it's been it's been kind of funny for me too because there's also this excitement that I've had for myself personally where I'm like, I've been preparing for this. Mm. You know, this is some, whatever's happening now is something that, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like my whole life I've been like, someday this machine is going to break. You know, we're like, there's going to have to be a major reorientation and, um, and then in this moment you kind of suddenly I'm feeling um like I've been studying a lot and preparing myself a lot in the ways um that I feel like are really necessary now and um I think a lot of people in our shared community have as well that we just have a lot of tools for transition you know and embodiment and somatic practice but community building practice and social organizing and um, Astrology and like other other means of connecting to intuition and guidance and timing, mm. um, for so long I've just felt like, you know, kind of a weirdo, like someone who's doing things that are more impractical and maybe self centered. Because I'm like, oh, I, you know, I really like this and I want to do it and it feels powerful to me. But definitely in the last couple of weeks, I've been feeling like I'm in the right place at the right time and this is something that I've like come into life for. You know, it's,
1: totally. Totally.
0: I imagine you can relate to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been so it's like I think at least since like the coming of age period of the late nineteens or you know, or late teens and early twenties, you know, just this strong feeling that yeah, the system's gotta it's gotta fall. It's gotta break. It's gotta crack. Something has to give somewhere. And to be living through this moment, like to, to know that and to have felt that growing up and to be having like kind of almost like dedicated my life in that direction. And now to actually to have it start happening. It's just kind of like, it's unbelievable. And, and the way that this is happening. Right. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's just, it's kind of like, So we're all stuck in our homes and, and, and it's, it's, there's one part of me that's kind of paranoid and I might, maybe I'll kind of address this a little bit in the, in the coronavirus chart, but there's one part of me that's kind of paranoid that like, we're just being disconnected. Like Mm -hmm. all of us are being disconnected. And we are in these places where our only access to the outside world is through electronic media and we could easily be fed. Like like instructions basically, and that's all we have to go on. And like we're being disconnected from our neighbors. It's increasing this fear that we like. I let's not touch each other. Let's not come near each other. And there's another part of me that's like, wow. If collapse is going to happen, it's almost like the best scenario would be if, even though this is still an unjust scenario and still sort of an inequitable scenario, sometimes I've thought, wow, the best scenario could be if everyone could just stay in their homes. You know, yeah I mean, it, or, or it's like almost like it's as if like if the system would just leave people alone, yeah, you know, just leave us alone, like, okay, you can't feed us, like not to say that that's not going to be a catastrophe, but like at least people could start the process of trying to like create their own systems of resilience,
0: right, yeah, and I feel like that's happening already, I mean it's happening a lot and Um, Over the last couple weeks as this has started, so many people kind of, like, pointing out that communities that have been marginalized for a long time or communities of higher need for a long time have already been doing so much organizing and creating structures that are outside of, you know, the institutional structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And that now all of that knowledge building and the building of structures that, um, that those communities and those people have been doing, like there's already a lot of groundwork laid, I think, for for the situation that we find ourselves in.
1: Totally. It's like people have been developing all of these models and now we're in a position where we can actually use them or they, their use could be expanded.
0: I think I might have your chart up. I don't remember, but I do a lot of readings for people who are in their twenties and thirties. So like folks who are a lot of people who are just ending their Saturn returns like, mm-hmm. or just starting them. And people who have, um, Uranus and Neptune and Capricorn, like that generation of folks from like the mid eighties to the, um, kind of mid and late nineties. And Huh? Millennials. Yeah. Although like, I'm not, I'm like right before that, but I think I'm still technically a millennial, but, um, Anyway, for years, I've been like talking to these people and saying something similar to a lot of them. And I think it comes from Capricorn, kind of this this militant language, but where I've been going, okay, in 2020, you're going to get your marching orders. (laughs) Like that's the language that I've had, you know, of like something's going to happen in 2020. And this is a really defining moment for you and your generation because it is right at that threshold where you come into your adulthood. And like society is really going to be changing, and this kind of signature in your in your birth chart of being part of this generation is a signature of knowing through your entire life that something is unstable and that something is unreal. Mm. In terms of what's structural, like Capricorn, you know the structure and the governance, it's unstable and it's unreal. Uranus and Neptune are there, and mm. then as you come into your adulthood and into like more and more agency as an actor in the world to to create and to manifest then you have to be the disruptive uh catalyzing force that's leading with innovation and creativity and you know basically embodying Uranian and neptunian in capricorn energy
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and just over the last few weeks you know thinking about that and you know still talking to people this age can kind of feeling like holy shit this is really the beginning of of something I mean I feel like it's it's been a slow beginning for a a long time that we've been kind of feeling but here we've got this big kind of precipice and um an obvious uh an obvious shake and a break with quote-unquote normal I mean the whole world is experiencing this together
1: yeah that that that's interesting with that like Millennial generation and that conjunction of um, Uranus and Neptune and Capricorn, you know, that's another thing that I've really become interested in too, especially with like the rites of passage conversation is like trying to work with astrology as a way to sort of discern the, if you want to say like the mission and like the tendencies of each generation and maybe how one generation will kind of build on the next, the work of the next. And even where to kind of discern where a generation begins and where another one, one ends and where one begins, right? Because, you know, I mean, to, to some degree, the whole categorization around generations has gone really crazy lately, I will say. It's like, it's like really a loud conversation and sometimes it's a little bit forced, but I feel like astrology kind of gives you this picture that like different decades and different people kind of embody like different energy qualities and different energy dynamics. And, right. and that there's a, there's, a, there's a sequence to them, you know what I mean? And, and I've really become interested in that, especially in relationship to the Pluto-Virgo, uh, or excuse me, the Pluto and Uranus conjunction in Virgo um, in the 19, 1965, 66, and by kind of using that as a moment to look at this entire historical period and like the work of each generation coming out of that period
0: also doing this research around saturn and jupiter's conjunctions um a lot of astrologers make a case for that actually being a really helpful generational marker because Mm. it's every 20 years Um, and as the the chrono craters, like the um, timekeepers, and these symbols of like societal development and social priority, and also what's being manifested through industry, that they that they're providing like a really interesting lens to kind of see um, generational movement. So, when you're thinking about where we are now in 2020, how do you see this moment in relationship to Um, what you're talking about, that Uranus-Pluto conjunction in Virgo in the 60s.
1: Totally. Okay, so I think another thing that happened in that Uranus-Pluto conjunction in Virgo was there was a opposition of Saturn and Pisces. And so that was also part of this idea that there is going to be a showdown or this confrontation with the establishment. And I, I feel like it was also sort of like Saturn and Pisces also, sort kind of representing like the crystallization of Piscean, the Piscean era in a way.
0: Okay. Well, what do you mean the Piscean era? Because I think, um, like you and I know, I think we share a lot of language, but for people listening, I'm not sure if everybody is like following with all of the, the astro speak.
1: Sure. Okay. So this is kind of, I'm still trying to get this, but basically, what, what my understanding of it is is that if there, there's a certain place on the equator, And if you could stand on an island at that place in the equator and observe what constellation rises during the spring equinox before the sun comes up, okay, that constellation will be the same constellation for 2100, approximately 50 years. And so at that place, I think it's on the equator, that constellation that has been rising for 2150 years has basically been Pisces in the Pisces zone. Mm-hmm. And right, right now, that, that constellation that's rising before dawn on the e- spring equinox is transitioning to being Aquarius. Mm-hmm. And so astrologers, I mean, the, the idea of the procession of the equinoxes or the great year, it goes back to Plato, at least. You know, so this, the great year was known about thousands of years ago. People knew that gradually the earth is sort of making its way around the entire zodiac in a way. And like I went to Hoover Dam when I was in college and I looked at, they, they have this plaque at the dam and the plaque talks about the great year. And I was like, that's so weird. Why would that be here? It's so bizarre. But so, so you could think about the great, the great year is a 25,000 uh, year cycle. And each one of the signs of the zodiac basically makes up a sort of month in that great year. And those months, if you want to call them, are 2,100 plus years. And so when we say we're moving from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, what we're saying is that that place on, on the equator at the spring equinox, where you would watch a constellation rise before the sun, is changing from Pisces into Aquarius. And the thought that astrologers have developed over time is that those long, like, like that constellational energy is conditioning humanity and conditioning the earth for its entire 2,000 year period that it rises at the spring equinox. And so each one of the science, one thing I think it's important to, to know is that one age is not better than the other. Pisces is not worse than the age of Aquarius. It's simply that Aquarius gives us a period of time or or Pisces gives us a period of time to learn certain types of lessons and activate certain types of potentials. And I think, and there are a lot of other astrologers that agree here that at the end of an age, you basically get tested. It's like the end of a semester, Uh you know, you get a summative test and that kind of the letter grade is marked down and you either can pass forward or you don't pass forward
0: humanity yeah. the past fail we'll see if we get to move into the next age.
1: that's right that's right that's right and and for whatever reason if you look at what's actually tangibly happening on earth okay we have created the means for the apocalypse to happen
2: yep
1: regardless of what your belief structure is the atom bombs are there you know the the you know environmental destabilization is there You know what I'm saying? Like we've created these things. Mm -hmm. And so we are functionally in this new position where we can, we can commit planetary suicide or we can decide what we want to do with our life. Yeah. And I think that that crisis is similar to what happens to you at different crisis points, which astrology partly shows you at different crisis points in your life. You kind of, you get confronted by why am I alive? Why shouldn't I just end it? And then ideally you get some kind of new refreshment about what I should do with my life. And I think that's what's where where we are is we're getting that refreshment of wow, humanity could do this. Right.
0: But that refreshment usually doesn't happen until you go through some kind of crucible. I mean, I think that sometimes it can happen. Like if you're if you're really working with yourself and super present with what's being asked of you, then transformation can happen maybe a little less painfully, Mm. but still like to move from one uh, evolutionary phase into the next, there I think has to be a death process and like a significant squeezing and confrontation with fear and a feeling of um, hopelessness. It's like that is actually the alchemical process.
1: Totally, totally. And, and, and that's, that's what you can see it happening. You can see it, it appears to be happening on a collective scale. And, and, and I, I, I also think you know, cycles are messy, right? They're not linear constructions, they're wave forms. And you, know, you can't exactly say when the moon's gonna pull back the tide, but nonetheless, it does. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's like, you can't say, oh, that's the wave. But if you watch it over time, the tide recedes, yeah. right? So I think, it, I think that we sometimes get the pictures of, what, of the new possibility or the new impulse at the same time that we're being confronted by all of the stuff that we didn't finish or that we don't know or that we're afraid of. Yeah. And so when I say the crystallization of the Piscean era, what I'm saying is that for the last 2000 plus years, right, the age is basically symbolized by Jesus, the fish, right? That's what Jesus did. He divided the loaves and the fishes up, right? That age ha- is coming to its point of test and ending. Yeah. The lessons that we should or could have learned during that time are now all back in our face saying, hey, hey, here's one more time. You guys, you're going to do a Piscean thing? You're going to open your heart to each other? Right. You know, you're going to open your heart to the fact that you live in this vast universe and and that it's actually a wonderful thing? Are you going to suffer with one another? Right. Or are you going to try to shut yourself off? Okay, so just jumping back really quickly. Uh Uh-huh. I think that that conjunction in Pluto and Virgo gave us a flash of possibility for what Aquarius could look like. Yeah. And I think since that time, if we think about that, we think about Uranus moving into a square position in the square, we're building up energy to release into the, into the manifestation of what was seated at the beginning of that cycle. Right. And there's a lot of resistance to the buildup of that energy. Right. And then Uranus-Pluto square happened and Aries and... Um,
0: Again, that was in the 2010, 2000
1: to 2017. Yes, yep. And Aries in uh, uh, Capricorn. And just as a lot of astrologers predicted, there was this like showdown between people that had this sort of new way of doing things and saw kind of new social possibility. And also because it was in Aries, we really impatient about it, you know, and sporadic and showed up like, you know, these movements congealed out of nowhere, apparently, you know, Occupy seemed to have come out of nowhere, you know, but if you've been paying attention to the way that square built the whole time, of course they didn't come out of nowhere, you know, right. Black Lives Matter didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it came out of Rodney King, you know what I'm right. saying? It came out of Emm- Emmett Teal. Yeah. Right. If you've been paying attention, it, it, it makes sense. And so what people said as Pluto or astrologers says Pluto moves into Capricorn, you know, it's kind of like the iron fist of like of power was going to lock down. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've kind of seen is like that, that I think in a way, the Pluto energy is sort of, is sort of shown itself to overpower the Uranus energy. And now you've got this rise of authoritarianism all over the world. You know, these people that were rankling for change from the Arab Spring, you know, to the, the, you know, housing strikes in Israel, you know, to Black Lives Matter, to Occupy, you know, and even in their own sort of way, even the Tea Party, right? Like people who were rankling for change all over. And then what happened is that actually the authoritarian sentiment got stronger. Mm. And and now you see authoritarian and ethnocentric and nationalistic and overtly white supremacist regimes popping up all over the globe.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's also a response to a lot of the ecological issues that we know are about to hit
0: yeah, and are hitting
1: yeah, and so looking at this this chart for 2020 and and, and using this chart as a as a, an attempt to look at what's happening in this decade, I mean I think what what we see is that like basically Pluto in, in Capricorn, so much of the energy of the planets are circling around Pluto and Capricorn mm-hmm. and I feel like Pluto and Capricorn is sort of like the death signal for like you said in your your one of your earlier podcasts like for this industrial buildup and the whole system of authority and control and you know essentially capitalism that have built up in these you know last you know two to four hundred years hmm and, and as this system is dying, it's holding on for dear life. Yeah. And I think that's another aspect of Pluto, and depending, it's an aspect of Saturn. And so that Pluto-Saturn con- and conjunction happened in January, and it's like, I think, soon after, we got hit with the virus. Right. Right. And well,
0: you were saying, um, I, w- I actually didn't know when the first case was, but you were saying it was in December. So this is all happening at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. More or less. The first case in December, I'm not remembering the date right now, but basically right as the conjunction was setting up in its fullness, the first case came out. And then shortly after the conjunction released, it became a global pandemic. Yeah. And, and, and if we look at its effect on, on Capricornian matters, and to a lesser degree on Taurus matters, it's similar to the effect of Pluto entering into Capricorn in 2008, which was it caused the economy to come to a halt.
0: Right. Because just to, to, to say for listeners, so Capricorn and Taurus are both part of the Earth's triplicity and the Earth element in general is referring to property, wealth, uh, amassing of resources, ownership, and also governance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... If you think about the earth element, and you think about economics, it's like we can have all the beautiful ideas that we want and air signs. We can have all the passion of fire signs, all the emotion of water signs. But in the end, if we don't have the earth, we don't actually have anything in a way.
0: Right. We have nowhere to manifest all of that.
1: That's right. And I think that's actually the basic problem that we have at this point in the world is that a lot of the new is ready. It's alive. Yeah. But but the way that our economic system is set up, it doesn't allow it only allows for some of that to come through. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's why you see, you know, in, in, in this chart for the new decade, you see Jupiter, you see Saturn, you see Pluto and you see Mercury all hovering around in the Capricorn zone, because I think there's so much energy right now that's pressuring the economic system. To, we've got to mutate the economic system. Right. You know?
0: Absolutely. In the In the um, Capricorn season episode for Embodied Astrology, I did a, um, a look at the last time Saturn and Pluto were conjunct in Capricorn, which was in 1518, mm. I, I, I think. Now I'm, I'm like forgetting my details. But I could have the year wrong, but um, it was the year that King Charles I of Spain basically gave permission for what was to become the transatlantic slave trade, for the passage of bodies to, to go directly from the African continent into the Caribbean and the Americas. Mm. Um, and that since then, you know, part of the, the cycle, I mean, I think we can look at, like, last time Pluto was in Capricorn, the birth of the United States with the Declaration of Independence, but the last time Saturn-Pluto conjuncted in Capricorn, to me feels like really the beginning of a capitalist system that is built upon the premise of uh, unpaid labor in this really kind of massive way and, and what begins global distribution or globalization. Obviously, there are slaves and unpaid labor, I mean, probably I don't know, all of human history. I mean, slavery has been around for a long time, but but the the mass, quote-unquote, employment, like, of, I don't mean employment as in paying, but in using, yep. um, bo- you know, bodies to, to create wealth that then builds into this kind of global elite, um, to me feels like that, that's kind of a, an origin point for the thing that right now, is you know has has reached this tipping point and it's like i feel like okay maybe there's there's some potential for the elite or whatever the global elite those who profit on the system to keep kicking this can down the road a little bit like we could live into hunger games
1: yeah right
0: but like you know it's not ultimately it's not sustainable you know like it it will kill the species it you know it'll blow out the planet so this thing that has been built is now it it feels to me like this is the death process of of that but i don't know if i don't know if we're gonna get out alive you know it's like they've got so many weapons so many nuclear bombs yeah militaries
1: totally yeah and i mean that's i think again if we look back at the 1960s and 70s I mean, they systematically destroyed all the leaders, most of the leaders of the movements. You know, they took them out. They discredited them or they outright murdered them. And I think that, (laughs) yeah, that sense that like there's no way we're going to overthrow the system by force. No. You know, and now I think the strategy since then has like, right, like Occupy showed this moment where it was like, wow, it, it actually looks like we could have a people's movement or people's movements, again, that could challenge the power of the system or global, the global elites. But if you look at, like, what's happening in Hong Kong, like, I don't know, right? Like, what, I mean, what is it going to take, I think, is the question. It's like, what is it going to take for, for, for this whole thing to come to its knees? And, 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 it, and it looks like, I mean, we were asking that question, and it's like, now this coronavirus hit us. Right. And go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, when, when you pose that question, I think, well, what it takes is just non-compliance. You know, like the, the people are running this. It's like the people are in the army. They're the one operating the tanks. They're the ones keeping the banks going. So it has to take non-compliance on a mass level. And then you're going, oh, and then the coronavirus hits and everybody's like told to stay home and the economy comes to a halt. And the, it's like, for me, I'm in this place going, okay, like this is the moment, you know, everybody's home. This is the moment to just shift into the new paradigm because this is infinitely easier than trying to get everybody to stay home. Like, like
2: mm-hmm.
0: this, is, this virus has done something to get people to pause at least in some way for a second. It's not gonna last that long. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. But again, I mean, it's like, what is actually pausing? So many people are in a, a deep space of fear, you know, and right now just spinning their wheels and trying to figure out how to hustle and what they're going to do to get by. And some of that is going to lead into new solutions, but a lot of that is going to lead into, back into the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, so if I'm using this chart as a way to look at this decade, okay, um, I also want to reference the mountain astrologer and there's an article in here. Uh, it's looking at the 2020s as well. And looking at transits, I'm trying to see who the Wendell C. Perry mountain astrologer uh, to issue 209. And he really like talks about a lot of transitions or a lot of the transits of the outer planets coming up in this decade. And he says of like all the outer planets, possible cycles of position, right? Right there's like 10 of them and six of them are restarting in this decade.
0: What do you mean restarting?
1: Like they're like going back to their like conjunction points and then beginning anew. Like if you look at Pluto from Pluto to Jupiter, those possibilities are like going back to their restart. So like from that perspective, it's a big decade. Yeah. Right.
0: So the planets in the outer planets in conversation with each other. Yes. Having conjunctions this decade. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So when I look at this chart, that's like the symbol for a potentially a birth chart for the whole decade. It's like, what I see here is all the Capricorn and Pluto Capricorn action is basically happening in houses three and four. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was just like, wow, like, so this, this death process of the Capricornian economic structure is going to we're gonna feel it the most at home. Yeah. We're gonna feel it in house four, and we're gonna feel it in house three. We're gonna feel it at home, and we're gonna feel it in our neighborhoods. Uh-huh. And, and then it's like, bam, then, then, then the pandemic hits, and like, we basically, our space of movement has been restricted to our homes, and into, into our neighborhoods.
0: Right, and then you know, I'm looking at that chart that you've got up with the North Node in Cancer conjunct to the Midheaven. Yeah. Which, I mean, to me, like thinking about um, what's happening now and the nodal axis feels very much like a, a call back into home. I mean, a, f- a force back into home.
1: Yes, totally. It's, it's Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to ask you to elaborate a little bit and, and also to make a note for the listeners that Ramon's chart is um, for the first moment of january 1st 2020 so midnight i guess um 0 a.m uh in washington dc so this is a u.s centric chart just wanted to make that note
1: totally yeah
0: and then could you elaborate like give me your read on the third and the fourth house and like the symbolism of these planets that are there
1: yeah so in the fourth house you've got you've got the sun at 10 degrees And then you've got Saturn and Pluto at 21 and 22 degrees Capricorn conjunct. Um, And the sun is within range of conjunction, more or less, or maybe just out of range. And the fourth house is like relates to our home. Um, It relates to not just our home, but our, our like how we construct our sense of self based on our home. And it's, you know, it's right around. You know, it's right around the IC, which is kind of like the really deep, like unconscious roots of your personality. And and depending, some people say that the fourth house is really about your mother, and some people say it's actually really about your father. But but either way, I feel like it's really about like this kind of intimate space that we cultivate and that we need to cultivate as people in order to have a foundation to grow out of and to like show up outside of our home and be somebody. hmm And then in the third house, you have uh, Mercury at four degrees Capricorn and Jupiter at six degrees Capricorn, Uh, but in the third house. And the third house relates to our siblings. Um, It relates to short trips and journeys. It relates to the immediate environment and building relationships to the immediate environment. Right. So. I interpreted that in a way as like, that's, that's partly like our neighborhood space. Like, you know, I've got children and I watched them go from beings that lived exclusively in my house to beings that had the whole neighborhood space to roam. And in this, in this pandemic, like that space has been restricted and their kids are like, what the hell, you know, like what we, what do we do? We want to see our friends. We want to interact. We want to be on bikes. You know, we want to drive around. We want to go to the mall and like all that's out. So... Um, yeah, so, you know, looking at, at, at uh, Mercury and Jupiter there, I feel like one of the things that I think Jupiter is a symbol of is, like, what's popular or, like, the people. Hmm. And I've also heard the moon to kind of play that role, but to me, Jupiter is, like, what the people believe,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know? And, and that's partly how it's connected to leadership because those people that can embody what the people believe are the ones that people choose as their leaders, right? Or in a democratic situation, ideally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Mercury there is like, in the third house, I think it's the ability to actually communicate locally, you know, so, so those, those are, they're all kind of crowded in the Capricorn area. Pluto's been there. So Pluto is the, the weighing force in Capricorn, I think, and all the planets. And I think Mercury has already passed over and Jupiter is about to make a conjunction with Pluto and you have the time of that
0: Jupiter and Pluto will conjunct the last week of March first week of April
1: Yeah right so right about now I've been asking myself I was like wow could someone have predicted this pandemic Well
0: god I mean when I've been looking at this I'm like I certainly didn't predict the pandemic but now in hindsight um Okay, so in this chart, Neptune is in Pisces in the sixth house and the moon is conjunct to Neptune. The sixth house is the house of health, um, Pisces is a sign that is really closely associated with ailments and also with um, contagion and like mass spread of contagion.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Neptune is a disseminating force, it's very mysterious, it's confusing, it, it's overwhelming. And the moon, again, like Ramon said, um, can aso- be associated with the people. And Neptune and Pluto are in a long-term sextile. I mean, I don't think their sextile doesn't perfect until like 2032. That's
2: Ooh.
0: like, and, and it's been going on for a long time since the early teens. And so this is a 20-year um, process of, of these two outer planets that are both transformative, dissolving, totally changing reality kinds of entities and energies. They're working together and then seeing how in this chart, what you're calling like the birth chart of the decade, which I think is fascinating that basically illness and health and experiences with the fragility of health and mass contagion, which now I could read into those placements are, are acting with this force to um, restrict right. Saturn restricts, and confines and this kind of transformational force that you're talking about that the people can do when they're forced to hunker down, come together and basically be yeah, be restricted and be confined. And I think a lot of I mean a lot of the who knows, I don't know what's happening for people in their homes, but I think so many of like our core wounds (laughs) in terms of like humanity's struggle come down to parent issues.
2: Totally.
0: Even if we take it all the way back to Uranus and Gaia as figures or like whatever, you know, God, I mean, wh- whoever the figures are, it's like human beings struggling with their right to survive and their autonomy or whatever. And then this sense of like, okay, well, we need to be coming into closer in spaces. We're going to be restricted and therefore are going to be forced on some level to contend with some personal shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Sun and Jupiter conjunct to the icy, It's like that's the spirit, that's the learning, that's the expression is in this place that you were talking about as an unconscious root, an origin space. Um, yeah, just just riffing there. Things that I was noticing when you were talking.
1: Totally. No, I, 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 in retrospect, I was like, wow, you can like Neptune in Pisces in the sixth house. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like yeah. that. That's pretty well. That's part of what's freaking me out, actually, Renee. Like, when I looked at this chart, I was like, whoa. Like, is this, like, and this is part of what freaks me out is, about astrology is sometimes I'm like, how can that be so on point?
0: I know. I have that experience all the time. It's like, like, I'll, I'll do readings for clients or, like, think about a month ahead. and I'm like, I really, who fucking knows, you know? Like, these are, like, strange shapes and lines. Like, I don't, I don't know. Right. And then it just keeps working.
1: If it's showing us what is happening, then I, it can, I think, show us what we can do. So I did a chart for, for COVID, right? And it's interesting in that chart because a lot of action, like basically the Capricorn complex is in the 11th house. And then the um, Uranus is, I believe, in the second house in Taurus. And I think it's it's trining the Capricorn situation. If you look at that chart, part of what COVID is poking us to do is like figure out innovative ways to like work with resources and also to like, it's also, it's like, it's a humanitarian, it's an 11th house crisis. And it's this stimulus for all of us to actually think about the other and then through that Uranus and second house Taurus, think about ways of actually lending resource to the other. And like people's hearts are like really open around that. So like that, and then if we take that and then go back to this this chart here, it's like, it's our local kind of social and family networks, you know what I mean? And like the rebuilding and the the magnification of the work that's already been done around those, right? Like the whole mutual aid movement. Yeah. You know, which, again, I think this is one of these things that goes back to the 1930s, um, you know, goes back to the days of anarchism, like even maybe even earlier in the 30s, goes back to a lot of anarchist movements, you know, the mutual aid movement. And their part of their goal was to create a system that was other and alter to capitalism. And, And that language is really being used strongly now. And a lot of those principles are really being used strongly. Like there's people in Detroit who've had their water shut off and there are people who are forming mutual aid networks to get people water. There's a mutual aid network in, in, on the front range of like, how do we work with people who are unhoused? And like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that like language that has, again, Generation X has been like working on building that out, but now it's like in the public eye again. I wanna point out two other things that I think could be places where people could like direct attention in terms of creating uh, neighborhood and residential change or neighborhood and residential like economic systems to support themselves as like the major system has more breakages. Yeah. I think we can direct our attention towards housing covenants. It's like you, you, you buy your home and all the homes in this neighborhood, if you buy this home, you have to agree to paint your house these colors. You know, you have to agree to not have broke down cars on your lawn. You know, you have to agree to like even certain types of behavior. And and I think when we look at this chart, one of the things that I think really needs to happen, and we already know this, is we really need to be able to use the homes and land that we have and make productive use of it. Yeah. You know, so those housing covenants that are saying that people can only have grass. Like we got to, we got to, we got to, we got to dead that. Right. You know, I mean, I respect the idea of housing covenants and their, their idea of again, coming back to this idea of like facade and like, let's keep it all kind of pretty. But like at the same time, like if our systems are becoming increasingly unreliable, what are we going to replace them with? So I've been thinking, yeah, like housing covenants, I think homeowners associations are a place where people can start to do some retooling. Uh, Renters' rights and tenants' rights and zoning. These are all like local agreements that we've made about how we are going to use the earth around us and relate to the earth around us and what one individual or what one group or neighborhood can do. And it's like, I mean, Michelle and I talk about this all the time. It's like, there should be a greenhouse in every neighborhood. Yeah. You know, there 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 should be like there like this is this is a chance I feel like emerging from this, like if the whole economy doesn't crack and the whole system doesn't change, at least a lot of people who have been trying to forward uh, these different forms of community resilience, whether they are person and equity based or whether they are systems based or uh, ecologically based like this is an opportunity for all those people who've been doing that work to be to say, like, hey, what if the grocery store shut down and we're out of this supply? What if you know our transportation systems shut down and we can't, you know, we get no gas delivery? Like all of this stuff, all the local resilience movements really can get a push, I think, from here. In a way, it's also I know it's terrible and like it's killing a lot of people and it's shaking up a lot of people's lives but it's sort of one of the most gentle disasters that we could have.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that we're not going through a nuclear war right now. My sense is like, just like with your personal life, it's like you get situations being given to you that are calling you to task. And when you don't listen, those lessons get incrementally harder. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is like, is a devastating situation for a lot of people, and it could be a lot more devastating. And it, it will be unless we take this opportunity to readjust in really significant ways. For more information about Ramon and his work, take a look at the show notes. Be sure to follow Embodied Astrology on social media at Embodied Astrology on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks and tag Embodied Astrology on any posts you make. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.